You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight the lineup puts the spotlight on the humble Brussels sprout. I have a couple of stocking filler suggestions for you in the form of a sexy-ish chef calendar and a book featuring the wonderful Wild Atlantic Way. And Brendan O'Connor from Barbecue Joe's will be in the studio to offer some Christmas Day breakfast suggestions that won't get in the way of cooking the Christmas dinner. As always, at the start of the show, I like to tell you how to get in touch with me. You can send your emails to me, s.noonan at live.ie, or tweet me at Queen of Org, which is short for organisation. It's always great to hear from you, the listener, about what you think about the show and indeed what you'd like to hear more or less of. So please do get in touch. Tonight, now, we're going to start off with Sinead Neyland from the Organic College in Drumcolour. And what else could we talk about tonight in the approach to Christmas but the Brussels sprout. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Sinead Neyland from the Organic College. Welcome this evening. Thanks, Sharon. And with Christmas imminent, there's only one thing we can talk about here for the, well, to start off anyway, and that is Brussels sprouts. Exactly, the seasonal vegetable. The <laughs> Love them or hate them. Exactly, often maligned, but I think quite nice. I like Brussels sprouts a lot myself. You probably cook them properly. I think that's probably it, that so many people have had them just mushy, cooked, overcooked and just think they're horrible. So, But they are a very nice vegetable. Tell us about where they come from, how they're grown. Um, I think they originally were cultivated in Belgium, which is where the Brussels sprouts name comes on them in the 16th century, actually. Um, but I remember the Brassica family, the cabbage family, and they're, um, they're, I suppose why they've become a Christmas staple is because this is the time of year that they're about. Um, they're actually planted usually back in spring, late spring. You sow the seed and then they're planted out kind of maybe in June. And they, take a, they have a long growing uh, period. So they're in the ground all through through the summer and it's only when you get to October November that they actually start to produce and you can get different varieties that would carry you from the earliest would be October November right through December on into March really you could have Brussels sprouts going right over that time. Now whenever you talk about them growing in the ground there they actually come out of the grinds, don't they? Yeah, they start off like any cabbage, you know, with the leaves and you have a typical looking like a, a cabbage or kale, anything like that. And then the, the the stalk gets tall with leaves on it and getting taller and taller. But if you look closely at the, where the leaves are coming out, you see these little buds forming. And then as the time goes on, they swell to form the Brussels sprout. And actually, most people just see them in a, you know, in a net in the supermarket or loose, just the actual sprout itself. But um, the last year or two, I've seen some, um, I suppose, n- not supermarkets, but maybe more uh, shops that sell vegetables, having the whole stalk. So you actually can see the whole stalk of the plant with sprouts going all the way up along it. At farmers markets now, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, where, where they're, I suppose, where they're getting the veg from a grower as opposed to just through a, you know, a wholesale supplier or whatever. And actually, if you buy them on the stalk like that, they will last a lot longer. They will stay fresh and you just pick off the ones that you want to use and keep the rest on the stalk. And would you store them in the fridge or just a Yeah, the cold, fridge or a cool clean? place is the best place for them. They will last for, get a week or more out of them, you know. Can you do anything with the stalk? No, no, it's a tough old cabbage stalk. You can chop it up and put it in your compost heap. Okay. 
but that's, that's a good use for it. <laughs> yeah. So whenever it comes to cooking them, there's crisscrosses going on there. There's yeah. peeling the outer few layers. What's your it's, advice? Yeah, it's, yeah, taking off the outer, just one or two, I suppose, outer leaves. And sometimes, well, I suppose it depends if you have the sprouts kept for, you know, almost a week, some of the outer leaves will look a little bit yellow. So you want to remove them anyway. The cross in the stalk at the base is just to ensure that they cook all the way through, you know, particularly if the sprouts are quite large. If they're small, that doesn't really matter. Um, and I suppose most people with the Christmas kind of dinner it's they're just boiled but that isn't the only way to cook them and I suppose the important thing if you are boiling them is that you don't overboil them you know they still need to be a little bit crispy al dente as they would say um, to be enjoyable you know rather than just mush and what's your favourite way to eat them? Um, I actually like to um, slice them and you, they can, you can parboil them or else straight put them in a pan with um, oil and some butter and a few bits of um, bacon sliced up or if you're going a little bit fancy, something like a parma ham or something like that um, and maybe a little bit of garlic and kind of fry them like that in the oil and butter and, and add some almonds, some sliced almonds and that makes a quite nice dish. Sounds very nice. I've never heard about gammons before. That's yeah. certainly one worth trying. Yeah, and I mean, they're very nice roasted as well. And you know what, around Christmas, you, you know, roast vegetables are a, a really nice thing. And we have, you know, roast carrots, roast parsnips. But um, roast Brussels sprouts are actually very tasty as well. So it's another way of having them. And because they're grown at this time of the year, they must be a fairly hardy vegetable. Oh, they are. They're pure. You know, you don't have to worry about frost or anything like that. They're really hardy. They're, they're a winter vegetable. They grow through the summer. This is their time. They're quite happy out right through the winter, you know, right over Christmas into January, February. doesn't matter if there's snow or frost. They're well able for it. That, that they are a winter vegetable. And I suppose if you're thinking of, you know, eating seasonal, uh, you know, eating whatever is growing at the time, then in the winter sprouts are the thing to be eating and is it something that you would grow out in the organic college yeah we grow them every year we'd always have them um, coming on um, the uh, the I suppose a lot of the brassicas are suitable for winter like kale will grow right over the winter we also have winter cabbages and spring cabbages in the ground at the moment that will also be quite happy sitting over the winter well able to deal with the weather so that the cabbage family is kind of I suppose a hardy family and they're good for over the winter months um, and I suppose there's a, a member of the cabbage, cabbage family for every day of the year really. And being a green vegetable it's probably a very good nutritious healthy vegetable It is well. a good one and yeah all, all those green ones all the, the, the cabbage family really are, are good for you you know and I suppose if you like Broccoli, you know, the Calabrese broccoli, that's a summer vegetable here in Ireland. When you see that headed broccoli in the shops in winter, it's all imported because it doesn't grow really in in Ireland um, in the winter. So, you know, if you eat the broccoli all summer, then you move on to the kale and the Brussels sprouts for the winter. And then in early spring, the purple sprouting broccoli appears at that stage that's its time you have that then into your spring cabbage and on into your summer you know so those that family the cabbage family can produce good healthy food for you all year round you mentioned kale there and everybody is all about kale at the moment mm. because it's a superfood yes i mean kale was kind of i suppose cabbage's poor sister there for a long time but um now it's all the in thing and actually we sell a lot of kale in the college but uh, some of it is for juicing not even for actually eating um, but it's a great vegetable and the one thing I would say particularly if you're growing your own 
if you grow cabbage, heads of cabbage, you have to cut the head and, you know, use it in one go. And if you have like 10 heads of cabbage, they'll all be ready at roughly the same time. And how are you going to get through them? Whereas kale is cut and come, a bit like the salads that we've, you know, spoken about before. So if you have a couple of kale plants, they'll get you right the way through the winter because you just keep harvesting from the base of the plant. They produce more leaves as the plant goes up. So you just keep harvest enough so again it's a really good value vegetable and again you can have kale like you would have cabbage with bacon and cabbage or in a stir fry or you know there's all sorts of ways that you can use it so it's a good vegetable a good value vegetable and i've heard of people roasting it Oh and yeah, making it crispy, yeah, like yeah, crisps. that's it. Yeah, I've seen that um, in, and particularly you know in that kind of raw food type of food, raw kale like that crisped up is very popular. You mentioned there about people buying a lot of kale off you. You sell the vegetables out there at the organic. We do, college. yeah. We sell. Um, well, we do a market stall in Drumcolour on a Friday morning, um, and where we sell the vegetables. We'd sell the vegetables from the shop in the college. You know, people can call in at any stage and get vegetables. Um, usually Thursday or Friday, because Thursday is harvest day, Friday is sale day. That they're the better days to come. But we sell the produce there, and we supply into um, a couple of other shops around the area as well so in terms of times what are, what are the opening times there um, well the stall is in, is in the square on a Friday morning from about 9 till 1 o'clock um, but Thursday and Friday um, the college is open until about half 3 um, and th- we're harvesting on a Thursday and a Friday so the produce is for sale there nice either and fresh days. Get fresh, really. exactly just freshly picked straight there gosh that's I'm sure now there's people listening will be saying they're going to you for their Brussels sprouts now for Christmas day no hope what sort of other things would you have on the stall there? Um, at this time of the year, we'd have potatoes, onions, shallots, carrots, parsnips, swede, um, heads of cabbage, kale, um, salads. We grow salads right through the winter, um, spinach as well, beetroot. That would kind of be what we'd have at this time oh, of great. year. I must take a spin out some Friday oh, night yeah, and, um, yeah. and pick up a few bits because I didn't know that. And I'm sure there's a few listeners there that that's news to them as well. Mm. So details, as always, are on the organiccollege.com website. Yes, they are. Thanks a million for coming in to talk to us. And hopefully now there'll be a few listeners there who will change their opinions about the Brussels sprouts over Christmas. Oh, hopefully, because it's one of my favourite vegetables. Well, I hope you enjoy it now on Christmas Day. And uh, thanks again for coming in and have a happy Christmas. Many happy returns to you too, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Thanks to Sinead for joining me this evening and we can look forward to her return in January when no doubt slimming salad suggestions will be top of the menu. If you have a question for Sinead when she's back, please send it to me, s.noonan at live.ie and I'll put it to her when she returns to the best possible taste. Still to come tonight, barbecue expert Brandon O'Connor has some great Christmas Day breakfast ideas and Chef Oliver Dunn will be on the phone to tell us about he and Eleven fellow chefs bared their legs to raise money for the mental health campaign Walk In My Shoes. Next though, we're turning our attention to a guidebook that focuses on the wild Atlantic way from Ireland's leading guidebook author and publisher, John McKenna. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. John, you have a book. It's called Ireland, Where to Eat and Stay on the Wild Atlantic Way. And it's a bit of a a different book for McKenna Guides. It is, uh, because generally speaking, um, you know, we're sort of 
rather stared, I think, most of the time with our books. You know, you get uh, books with an awful lot of text and, um, and, and really a few pictures on the cover, and, and otherwise it's kind of, uh, you've, you've got to wade through the text. Whereas when we set out to kind of do the research and then do the writing of uh, Where Tweed and Stay on the Wild Atlantic Way, we very much wanted a book uh, that, that captured the sense of place as you moved from Donegal to Cork or from Cork to Donegal, depending on your perspective. Um, and so what we were trying to do, I suppose, was twofold. It was one, to use the text to kind of uh, detail the best people that we could find uh, on the route, but then at the same time to kind of give people a sense of, you know, this, this glorious um, edge of Europe um, utopia, really, which so much of the Wild Atlantic Way is. So it was quite different for us to be very visually focused uh, in a guidebook. I mean, we've done, obviously, with cookery titles that we've done, you know, you, you really have a, a preeminent element there is, is how the book is actually going to look, how it's going to feel. But for a guidebook, this was somewhat different for us. And I, and I must say, we, we, we both absolutely love the experience of researching it, photographing it, and, and then actually putting the finished text together. Well, you said there about Cork to Donegal or Donegal to Cork, <laughs> which is in essence the Wild Atlantic Way. But uh, some people may not actually understand or realise where the Wild Atlantic Way starts and finishes. So just explain that, what it is to you, because again, there has been a bit of controversy about where it starts and where it finishes. Yeah, indeed there is. Uh, and the controversy, I think, d- depends on whether or not you hail from Donegal or you hail from Cork, because of course the Cork people say that the ideal way to do the Wild Atlantic Way is to begin at Kinsale and then drive all the way up the West Coast, literally to the Foyle Bridge. And, of course, their argument for saying that you start at Kinsale is that you have the sea immediately to your left, you see? So if you like, you, you are on the right side of the road, albeit you're on the left side of the road, but they're saying you're the closest to the sea, and the sea is what this... Uh, wonderful journey over, uh, is, is all actually about. But of course, up in Donegal, they'll say, no, 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 it's much nicer to kind of, you know, um, you get more of a sense of sort of traveling down the country, if you like, if you if you begin at the Foyle Bridge and, and then head further north into Donegal and then, and then begin to kind of make your way south, you know, through Sligo, through Mayo, through Galway, through County Clare, uh, into Kerry, and then on to, um, on to County Cork. But of course, it doesn't go all the way through uh, County Cork, it actually it actually stops at Kinsale. I can't tell you what the thinking was. I mean, the thinking is pretty sound in terms of beginning at the Foyle Bridge, because uh, then it's only a very short journey into Donegal at Bridge End, where, if you like, is, is the, the, the the route picks up the Republic of Ireland. Why it ended at Kinsale, I'm really not sure. Uh, hopefully, in time, we'll learn more about why that decision was taken. But I, I really don't know why, Sharon. And it is, I suppose, meant to be a coastal route, but you yourself deviate away from that a bit in, in the book. Yes, we do have some deviations. I mean, for the most part, we're, um, we're quite rigid about actually keeping to a coastal route. But then every so often, you know, you might come across somewhere. I mean, let's say, for example, you're on the, 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 the north coast of Kerry and you've just come across on the ferry from County Clare. There is relatively little just there within... Uh, a geographic space. So what we say is, look, Adair is close by. It's a lovely place to stay and eat. And, you know, in this instance, it's worth the detour. And we do that with certain other kind of exceptional places, like, let's say, Gregan's Castle in 
County Clare where you know we would be arguing that if you were in Ballyvaughan it's two and a half miles up the road and it's it's more than worth the detour in fact it's worth walking two and a half miles up uh, Corkscrew Hill to get to to get to Gregan's but but otherwise we stick to the coast we we, we really do stick to the route and I think from the feedback I've been getting ever since the um, you know, the Wild Atlantic Way got up and running in sort of April, May. Uh, that, that that really seems to be what people are actually doing. It's a, it's very much a, a drive focused on the sea and the coastal route and the, the westernness, really, of, of being on the edge of Europe. And the book has restaurants, but it also has delis, it has bed and breakfasts, it has hotels, like it has a lot of different aspects to it. What are your personal highlights? Um, I think... Gosh, that's a really good question. Uh, well, I mean, if I could pick a couple, I suppose one of the really nice things about it, if you start at the Foil Bridge, is that the first place you actually come to is a food cart. Uh, it's called Pike and Palms, run by a lovely guy called Kevin Pike. And it's incredibly successful. You know, Thursdays, Fridays, Kevin in his little van will be doing, you know, there'll be 150 people there eating lunch, you know. On a, on, a, on a good summer's day. So it's really rather funky and rather different to kind of start the route by having some absolutely delicious... I mean, I mean this is restaurant-quality food now. It just so happens that you sit by the side of the Foyle River on a, on a, a, a bench eating it because there, it's restaurant food, but without the restaurant. Um, and I think that's really a, a, a very, very brilliant kind of start to it. If there was one other area I think I'd really pick out, I think... The, the the group of people who where I have seen the best organization anywhere on the Wild Atlantic Way is actually the, the people in Loop Head. Uh, they're a terrifically unified and united bunch. Uh, they're exceptional about having created a, a great deal of information about if you're in that area, what else you should do. Not Not just eating and drinking and where to stay, but also... You know about walks, about guided tours, uh, about the sort of flora and fauna of the area. So I really, I really have to commend them uh, for, for for being right in there at the beginning of the establishment of the Wild Atlantic Way and saying, you know, look, we have to look at this from the perspective of, <clears throat> if you like, our own zone. In other words, if we get people to come here our objective is to get them to stay as long as possible. And so we need to be able to say, look, you can go out in this fishing boat, you can go to this B&B, you can go to this lovely seafood restaurant, you, you can go on it, you know, you can walk the coast, whatever it may be. I, I don't think it's anywhere quite as well organised as the, as, as the team in Loop Head. Well, this year has been a very busy year for you with um, the Wild Atlantic Way book and also you brought out an app. So what does 2015 herald for McKenna Guides? <laughs> what can we expect from you and Sally next year? Uh, well, I, well, really, really more of the same. I mean, in January now, um, as you say, yes, we'll, we, we will be having uh, the apps of the 100 best restaurants in Ireland, the 100 best places to stay in Ireland. We will actually have a new and expanded edition in print as well as an app of the, the Wild Atlantic Way book. Uh, we, we, we will actually have a, a slightly expanded um, edition of the book itself, a physical book, because people, I mean, it surprised us in ways, you know, you keep hearing uh, in publishing that books are dead and people aren't interested and they want everything on their tablet or their smartphone. But actually, and it really did surprise us, um, and it's a terrible cliche to say it, but the book actually sold like hot cakes. We, we thought, you know, we didn't get it out until June. And it sold its, its print run literally in a matter of sort of two and a half months, really. So hopefully we've got um, a, a sort of aesthetic in the book that, that, that people like. And we're obviously going to try and, 
uh, and improve on that and, and make it better. The, the beautiful thing about the app, of course, is you can add in so much extra information. So, you know, when we were working on that, we were able to add in so much more about, look, if you just make this little detour, there's a wonderful historical site or there's a very special church or wh- whatever it may be. So we were, we were able to pack in a lot of stuff into the app that we couldn't, you know, that we really couldn't fit into the book. Um, but apart from that, really, um, just more exploration of Ireland's wonderful food culture, you know, which is really, um, 2014 has been a very good year for people doing doing the good thing, particularly for people on the Wild Atlantic Way. And I, I really have to salute Fulcher Ireland. It's a, it's a very simple idea, but it follows on, I think, if you like, think from things like, say, the Greenway in County Mayo, which has been a massive success, and I think may have suggested to Fulcher Ireland, you know, that if you if you devise a route and if you signpost it, people will come. Uh, and just as they came in 2013 for the gathering, 2014 has been a huge success for the Wild Atlantic Way. My own prediction is that in 2015 it will actually be twice as successful as it was in its in its debut year. So I think there's there's going to be a lot more. Uh, businesses opening on the Wild Atlantic Way, I think, as people kind of realize that, you know, you can run a, a nice seasonal business for six or seven or eight months and then close in the wintertime. Um, and and it's, it's all good. There's, it's funny, as we come to the end of 2014 now, um, and Sally and I have done more traveling probably during this year than we probably have at any time over the last decade, I'd say. And everywhere we go, you just find really talented, creative people who are determined to do their best, you know, and it's so encouraging to to, to see how dedicated people are in terms of, in, in, you know, doing their best with food, whether it's on the Wild Atlantic Way or whether it's the 100 best restaurants or it doesn't really matter. It's, it's, it's all good. And from our point of view, you know, we've been doing this now, obviously, for more than 25 years. And it just it just gives us such joy and such encouragement, you know, to just keep on doing it. Well, keep up the good work now because it, I mean, I think this is a super book. It's a great size, you know, it's about the size of the palm of my hands. It's a great handbag, man bag size. <laughs> and at 12 euros, I think it's the perfect stocking filler. Yeah, well, I mean, I, mean, I hope people, you know, might consider buying it as a gift uh, for a friend because obviously, it, you know, it might just be the provocation they need to say, do you know what I'm going to do? I, I mean, maybe we'll do all the WAW in. Uh, 2015, but I'm going to go to Galway and work north, or, or I'm going to go to um, uh, Conceal and begin to work my way up through Cork and Kerry. Um, yes, I mean, we price it very keenly. It's a kind of, you know, 12 euro, it's, a, it's almost an impulse buy, I suppose, in, in, in certain sense. But certainly I'd love to see people getting switched on to you know, to doing the WAW, whether you do it do it in one big go, or you do, you do sections of it. Because I, I, I don't think people often realise, Sharon, that, you know, in the history of the, the Irish state, generally speaking, the rest of the country has lived off the crumbs from Dublin's tourism table, you know. So we've had to do with a, a very small percentage of the, the total number of visitors uh, that we get into Ireland. Most of those people come to Dublin, but most of them actually stay there. So now we have something that's focused on the West Coast, but it's not just one part of the West Coast. It's literally from north to south. And so hopefully we'll see the benefits of that distributed all along, a, a, you know, a couple, 1,500, 2,000 kilometers, literally from north to south. It's an inspired idea. It's simple, but there's a, a beautiful aesthetic to it. And as an experience, it, it really, really can't be beaten. It's a, it's a magical thing to, to get out there and to drive it and to stay on it and to eat on it and to see the changes 
as you drive through the counties. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's really something special. And the book is great at summarising and highlighting where to go and when to go and where to eat and where to stay. So it is a perfect guide. We're trying to do what we've always done, which is to say, look, if there's, if there's a good place, you know, I mean, if you can't find anywhere or if you can't find anywhere good, then obviously, you know, you're not going to put in something that's, that's, that's second rate. But I think when we were doing the research, we did a lot of research at the very beginning of the year um, I mean, we ourselves were surprised at, at how good an experience you could have. As I say, I mean, literally right from the outset, you know, you begin at the Foyle Bridge. Derry has become a very good city to eat in. You cross over into Bridge End. You, you know, you've got these wonderful places like Harry's. You go up north through Donegal, exceptional places, you know, into Sligo. You've got these great food heroes like Shells in Strand Hill. And it continues literally until you get to the very end in Kinsale. So, you know, you, you not only have a, a wonderful uh, experience of the geography of the route, but you have a wonderful experience of the food culture of, of the route. Um, and if there was one thing I, was to say, I would say to people is, you know, as you're doing it, do try to keep finding the local craft breweries as you go along, because I think there's about 15 or 16, or maybe even at this stage, like few, a, a few more. Um, so you can actually begin in Donegal with a bottle of Kinnegar Brewery and you could end up in Kinsale with a bottle of, you know, uh, Kinsale Black IPA and you could have this wonderful kind of craft beer experience along with all the other great food experiences but literally you can have a great beer experience pretty much on the, the entire route and that's another another example, if you like, of how, you know, the grassroots in Ireland, the, the food and the drink it's just becoming better and better all the time. Because a few years ago, there were there was very few craft beers available, oh. and now there's a substantial number of them. Yeah, it, it to be honest, if you're um, if you're a food writer, it's almost become an area that you dread because the minute you think you know it, two more new beers uh, come out of the woodwork. And the other thing that's going to happen next year, I think, and which is going to be really significant, is we are going to see a huge explosion uh, in the number of craft distillers, you know. So, I mean, you already, for example, have the Dingle Distillery, um, I, which is on the Wild Atlantic Way, but there there were, I think, 20 or more licenses applied for to the, the, the Department of Finance over the last couple of years for uh, craft distilleries. And they're beginning to come... Uh, on track now, you, you know, you have people like Short Cross Gin in Northern Ireland and different things like that. So, uh, I, you know, everywhere which you look, you know, areas where Ireland used to be kind of poor, of course, we've always had a good drinking culture, but actually we didn't have a good beer culture. You know, the, the, the drinks were kind of uniform and pretty bland. Now we have the most wonderful craft beer culture and craft distilling is is going to come next and I think that's really exciting. Well it sounds like we can expect a publication focusing on that in the near future John but in the meantime it's where to eat and stay on the Wild Atlantic Way it's 12 euros and it's available from guides.ie the perfect stock and filler. You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM.
Welcome back to tonight's programme. If you've just joined us, we heard earlier from Sinead Neeland of the Organic College in Drumcollar. And just before the break, I was talking to John McKenna of guides.ie about where to eat and drink in the wild Atlantic way. If you missed those interviews, the show will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week, along with all the previous 2014 shows. And you'll find the podcast there on soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show. And there's dashes between the food and drink show. Still to come tonight, Chef Oliver Dunn will be asking the question, why do women wear high heels? When he talks about the photo shoot behind the celebrity chef calendar that is out now to raise money for the mental health campaign Walk In My Shoes. Next though, it's time to look at food on Christmas Day, but not the Christmas dinner. We're going to look at that in detail next week. If your experience of Christmas Day means eating badly in the morning as the kitchen has been commandeered by the the dinner chef, help is at hand now from barbecue expert Brandon O'Connor. Cheers. Chin chin. Salud. Schleiter. Brandon, it's um, not a secret to most people that on Christmas Day the kitchen is completely taken over by Christmas dinner food and breakfast often goes out the window but you actually have a number of suggestions for people to make sure that they do have a breakfast but that it doesn't come in the way of mother or father, whoever's in charge of cooking the Christmas dinner. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Christmas morning, the kitchen starts bright and early and the main event is, is turkey and it takes a couple of hours. So yeah, usually the kitchen can be tied up and it can be a tough place to, to get in and maybe cook a small little breakfast if if someone else is in the house wanting to have a, a small a small fry up so what people should do and could do is make use of that lovely barbecue they might have bought during the summer a couple of, a couple of summers ago um, maybe in the run up to Christmas have it ready and cleaned up um, and you know, it's it's very simple to just head outside and give a little bit of breathing space to whomever the head chef on the day is. Um, and it's quite simple to go and cook breakfast outside on a barbecue, whether it be a gas barbecue or charcoal. Um, just for Christmas, you know, treat yourself to some really good quality produce. Your local butcher is probably making some really nice handmade sausages. Um, locally, you have Ate Black Pudding, which I think is fantastic. They do a little black and white pudding together, which is great to put on a barbecue um, you could take um, some ham if you wanted to and just slice ham and grill it on the on, on the barbecue as well you can also cook eggs in the barbecue um, so my suggestion would be everything from toasts right through can be done on the barbecue take a nice you know get a right crusty loaf cut it yourselves nice thick slices brush it with a little bit of olive oil put that on the grill and kind of char it so there's your toast you can grill your meats even little um, simple uh, foil containers you'll find them in the two euro shop ones like uh, for baking breads like a, a loaf tin but you can get them in tin foil you can pop some beans in there and have it sitting in the background you know somewhere a warm spot on your barbecue put that on first so your beans are coming up nice and hot so that's just a very simple thing someone can do on Christmas morning if they want to alleviate a little bit of pressure um, from from the kitchen inside of the house and allow whomever is cooking turkey um, a little bit more space. Now, whenever you were talking about some of those items there, like the sausages and the black pudding, it just kind of struck me that you could turn some of those items into canapes if you were maybe having visitors on Christmas morning or you had unexpected visitors and there's still kind of a breakfast taste to them there, but it 
hopefully they would go quite nice with a glass of Prosecco or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could do things like take a black pudding, a nice piece of black pudding. Um, and if you had the opportunity to get your hands on some scallops, you could cook a little bit of black pudding, a little bit of scallop together, and you could even make yourself up some like a little apple puree or just very simple. And there you go. You have something, you know, if you had a black pudding that you could cut into squares and just grill it and put a little scallop on top and a little dollop of apple puree or something on the side, you have something really nice. You could either boost it up and, and put a couple of them together and that could be a starter or you could just have it as little nibbles or you could have, you know, nice streaky bacon and wrap it around a, sh- uh, a scallop and have that on the barbecue you know just have them skewered they're just nice little nibbles or you could take asparagus spears wrap them in a little prosciutto simple just put it on the barbecue as well and grill it so that asparagus could either be an accompaniment or a a vegetable with your main meal or you could have it as an impromptu little snack if some you know a lot of family members visit each other Christmas morning or before lunch and some families have a later lunch so there's a lot of use that can be made from the barbecue and you can you know rustle up a few things like Christmas in my house there's a prawn cocktail is always a favourite but like you could go a little step to take the prawns outside and if you you can buy uh, jumbo frozen prawns and just do a little um, prawns and chorizo and little kebabs and grill them on the on, over the barbecue so you can you can, cook those from frozen or do you need to defrost no, them? No, you first? defrost them, yeah. It's yeah, because if you if you're cooking things from frozen over a barbecue, it's gonna cook on the outside and it may be raw on the inside. So I never put anything frozen on a barbecue. Um it's better defrost it and particular things like prawns sometimes are frozen in a little bit of liquid and if you know you don't want that liquid dropping down onto your coals and slowing down your barbecue. And can you defrost them by putting them in the running cold water? Is that a good idea or a bad can idea? Personally, I'm not uh, in favour of it. It's like with water charges coming in, you don't want to have a water tap running in the kitchen. The best way to defrost anything is take out, take the item out of your freezer a day or two or even three days in advance. If it's a turkey, you'd almost want it out three days in advance and allow it to defrost in the fridge. It's the it's the safest way of uh, defrosting anything, leaving it out overnight on the countertop or half microwaving it or putting it in warm water can run you the risk of... Uh, uh, maybe a little bit of food poisoning but um, no my, my recommendation is defrost anything in the fridge You mentioned turkey there and obviously most people would be doing the turkey in the oven but if somebody was very unfortunate and there was a power cut or the, the oven broke on Christmas Day God forbid there actually is a solution there in the form of the barbecue Yeah there is I mean the barbecue is it can be used almost like an oven if you have a nice barbecue you know the ones with the lids on them whether it be a charcoal barbecue or a gas barbecue what you can do is just I just straight away fire up the barbecue don't put anything in it but get the whole thing up to a really nice temperature if you're using charcoal like the charcoals get good fire going um, you know get it nice and hot what temperature now would you say um, you're looking at about uh, 150, 170 degrees. Um, but get, just initially get your temperature up to there. Even even 200 is not going to be too bad. Because what you're going to do is when you put in your turkey into your preheated barbecue, you want it nice and hot in the beginning. Um, you get a bit of colour on the outside of your turkey. But then slowly 
you look if it's if it's charcoal barbecue you can allow the temperature to drop off to like 120 degrees or 110 degrees because you're just now going to slowly cook the turkey and it might even take a little bit longer than you would inside in your oven the things you have to be very mindful about though if you are cooking a turkey on a barbecue is you can't put it on the barbecue like you may a piece of steak you have to protect the turkey from the heat source so what you're going to need to do is um, if whatever roasting tray you were going to be using perhaps for your turkey in the oven you would want that underneath your turkey if it's on the barbecue and then you want your turkey sitting on top of something like a wire rack or if you have if there's a roasting rack in your dish you want the turkey to be elevated a little bit from the roasting dish and what you'll do then is put about one or two depending on the size of the turkey and the size of the roasting tray but you want to put a, a liter or two liters of water into the roasting tray so what you're doing essentially is you're kind of creating a protection from the direct heat for your turkey because in your oven there's no actual flames in the bottom of your oven it's 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 a metal box there's either a fan circulating the, the warm air or, whereas in a barbecue if there's a flame underneath the piece of meat it'll tend to burn right there then so what you want to do is create that oven effect in your barbecue so i just it's it's almost the same as cooking in the oven is that hot or cold water you're putting into the the tray you can put in cold water over time it'll it'll come up to 100 degrees it'll begin to evaporate so what you should be doing is every 20 30 minutes you can just check on your turkey um, what I would recommend doing is you could make up um, a little bit of apple cider vinegar and apple juice, perhaps just a liquid that you could, if you have a little spray bottle, you could spray it onto the turkey just to keep it moist on the outside. Or you could just, if you had a little pastry brush or something, just quickly just dab it, um, almost baste the turkey. Um, and then if you if you notice after an hour or two that the water has dried out, top it up there's no issues and you could even put chicken stock in there as well um, if you had it yeah because I was going to say that if you were putting water in there you, you might not be getting the juices from the turkey that some people would use to make their gravy that's yeah it's going to be uh, you can't have it all you can't have it all it's going to be a little price you're, pay, you're going to pay because normally if there's a really good heat source underneath that trail if there's you know there's going to be kind of burnty bit like normally you have some nice crusty bits in the tray that you make a nice gravy and you can deglaze it but if you have it over the barbecue what's inside in that tray could end up being burnt and it's that that tray is really not to catch the juices coming from the turkey it's there to protect the turkey from the flames coming from the barbecue and if your barbecue is substantially large and you're able to put your turkey on one side of it and you're able to light uh, either the gas or the charcoal on the opposite side you're in a really good position so you can you can light up let's say the, the left hand side of your barbecue and get that going nice and hot but have your turkey on the right hand side not over that direct heat so you'll almost get that kind of you have a heat source but it's not there directly cooking your turkey um, and do you need to turn the turkey round then to, to make sure it's all it's getting heat from it really, all yeah, the angles it depends on the, on the makeup of the barbecue but you should always I would always recommend having the turkey breast side up. You can turn it left and right a little bit. If you're cooking it, if you have the heat source, let's say on the left and the turkey is on the right, I would recommend turning the turkey 100, you know, turning it around 180 degrees just so that both sides of the turkey get 
a little bit of exposure to where the heat source is coming from. If the heat is underneath the turkey and it's, you know, like a Weber or one of these dome-style barbecues, usually I tend to find that the heat is very evenly distributed. So there's no major onus on... Like, you, you'll notice after a while if there's a particular side browning more than the other then that's a kind of a visual clue to spin it around. And I presume you don't stuff it. It's better not no, to stuff it. It's going quicker. to take even longer yeah, again if quicker. you stuff it. Like it's going to be a little bit slower cooking the turkey on the barbecue. Um, what you, you're looking out for really is that you're getting you know, at the, the correct temperature. Like what you want to do is the turkey tie, get it up to about 78 to 80 degrees just to ensure that your turkey is safely cooked. But should you throw in maybe a couple of onions, a bit of orange or something into the centre of it just for flavour purposes, some herbs? You could. Um, what works really well is just, just a halved orange, but if with a little preparation irrespective of if you're doing your turkey on a barbecue or if you're cooking it in the traditional way in the oven I would highly recommend brining your turkey possibly the night before now a brine is just a sugar and water solution people cook turkeys they tend to find it maybe a little bit dry um, so what a brining what brining does is you're immersing the turkey in a, in a liquid solution and you're allowing the meat to just absorb a little bit more moisture before you start to cook it so to make a very simple brine you'd put equal amounts of salt and sugar perhaps 300 grams of salt 300 grams of sugar um, and about four liters of water that's the basis of your brine um, into that then you can add some aromatics so maybe two oranges you can quarter them up pop them in two lemons quarter them pop them in three or four bay leaves um, maybe a dozen peppercorns um, couple of sprigs of rosemary maybe four sprigs of rosemary four sprigs of thyme so you have just some herbs being infused in the water solution with the salt and the sugar and then pop in your turkey 12 to 24 hours in this solution and it's going to actually absorb some of this liquid and it's going to pull in some of the aromatics into the turkey so that's cold water. That's cold water. So what would be recommended is if you have space in your fridge, find a container that's going to suitably... If you get too large a container, the water, the, the, the brine solution will be too shallow in it and you won't cover the turkey completely in it. So something that's very close in size to your turkey, a round bucket preferably. Um, you have two options. You could make the brine, put the turkey in it and put it back in the fridge perfectly safe if your if your fridge doesn't have enough room which a lot don't and I found that's a problem at home um, what you can do is if you were to make your brine with 4 litres of water what you could do is just take it to 3 litres of water and put in maybe like a kilo of ice so you can ice down that's that's um, the brine and you could leave it somewhere cool in the garage covered um you could get away with six hours if you wanted to. A brine, you could brine it for six hours or just even the night before at midnight, you know, but when people are going to bed, pop the turkey in the brine. The next morning it's going to be perfectly fine. Just take it out of the brine, pat it dry with some paper towel, and now you've, you're starting out with a very, very moist bird. Mm-hmm. And do you put any butter or oil or seasoning no, on it? Just a little bit of oil in the outside. Salt, pepper, and just coat the outside of the skin with oil. That's as simple as I do it. Do you do it on Christmas Day or? I've been known to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, a couple. Of, like I've barbecued the turkey. Just that's just a, an occupational hazard in my house that I can end up barbecuing the turkey. But um, 
if it's going down the traditional route mom, mom's in charge of the turkey if if it's going the barbecue route I'll take care of the turkey well I'm sure at some stage the barbecue will be brought out over Christmas in the O'Cotter household and um, all your guests are very lucky to avail of your cooking expertise so thanks very much for coming in this evening to share that and you're, you have a web address if people want to go to find out more about Barbecue Joe's yeah barbecuejoes.ie or you can get us on Facebook where Facebook forward slash barbecue Joe's BBQ J-O-E-S and if anybody's any questions you can always send me a quick message on Facebook and I'm happy to respond Fantastic well thanks so much and have a lovely Christmas You too Sharon thank you You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM Welcome back to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to barbecue expert Brendan O'Connor from Barbecue Joe's about how to put the barbecue to good use over the festive period. And Brendan will be posting his suggestions and recipes on the Barbecue Joe's Facebook page and website which as he said is bbqjoes.ie. Next now, we are going over to the phone and I'm going to put a call into Chef Oliver Dunn about a celebrity chef calendar that is on sale for a very worthwhile cause. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Oliver Dunn from Bon Appétit, how are you this evening? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks so much for joining me tonight and you're going to talk to me about a very special project that you've been involved in. Yes, absolutely. Um, I've I was involved in a, I suppose, firstly I was involved with a charity called Walk in My Shoes for the last number of years, um, in, in a quite a small capacity now I have to say. Uh, but Walk in My Shoes is a charity which focuses on mental health in young adults, uh, primarily from 18 to 24 year olds. So um, it's a charity that's quite close to my heart, uh, my family's heart. I've had mental um, health issues in my family um, and through friends and, and lo- loads of people I know, colleagues, guys in work. Um, have all had issues. So it's something that's been very close to me. So I decided to, um, this year, to try to make a bit of a difference. Um, as opposed to every year when, when you have restaurants, you support numerous charities throughout the year, you're sending vouchers out every other week. I decided this year that to try to sort of consolidate everything and to make a real difference. So I contacted Walk My Shoes back in April, maybe, of this year, um, to meet up to say, let's write. I, I'm, I'm ready to see if we can do something big. So... We met up with the guys in the foundation and um, we came up with the, the idea of a calendar. Um, one of the girls in the office came up with an idea of, the, of doing a calendar. Um, and it was, originally it was on the line that the calendar girls was the first sort of idea, um, which was basically chefs standing there naked with bits of fruit and that in front of them. So um, it was all fun and tongue-in-cheek. And I said, grand. So I said, absolutely. I said, I'd, I'd definitely be able to do it. So I'd definitely do it and I'd be able to get all the chefs on board. So... From there then, um, it just went on and I contacted all the chefs um, throughout Ireland, all the, the main, um, the best chefs in the country, all the commissioned star chefs, the, the TV personalities, the ones that people would know. Um, and I asked them would they take part in this calendar and, and everyone just said yes straight away, which really surprised me. I thought it was going to be a hard sell, but uh, they all just jumped at the idea. You aren't uh, actually na- naked in the calendar though, we should point out. No, no, we're not, because the, the next of all, we contacted the photographer, um, and I decided, like with the keep 
we wanted to do a really high end calendar and we, we you know the, the chefs involved were the top chefs in the country so I started to keep that continuity I contacted Barry McCall who would be Ireland's leading photographer um, and I asked Barry would, would he get involved and again like the chefs before him Barry completely just said yes absolutely and volunteered his time to, to do it all so then when we met up with Barry then we, we told him the idea of what we're going and then I suppose Barry then took his artistic side and the art, took artistic license and control over it and he said you know all the chefs are different shapes and sizes and some may be comfortable some might be comfortable and he wanted to um, protect the integrity of them and also have some sort of continuity and a little bit different because in the end of the day the calendar girls were sort of done so he came up with the idea of um, all of us wearing the different shoes for walking my shoes to charity um, and I suppose to point out where that name came from it was a little 16 year old boy he, he said He'd love his friends to feel like what it's like to walk in his shoes for the day with mental health. So that was what he came up with. Then Barry said, why don't we all wear different types of shoes um, and we'll wear mini skirts or aprons in a fashion of mini skirts, chef jackets, and highlight the Walk in My Shoes charity and also a bit of tongue-in-cheek and a bit of fun. So that was where it all came from. Now, the shoes are all fairly different shoes, aren't they? They are all very different shoes. Um, and again, we got a stylist involved. Courtney Smith came on board and Courtney done all the styling so she went around got all the chef's shoe sizes and that's a hard job to do to, to match everyone they got a pair of high heels for me um, so she went around and got everyone and everyone just came in on the day and we all had our own our shoes allocated to us So um, and it was just about you know quirky stuff and, and again for us to, as chefs to be out of our comfort zone and to sort of tap into the whole world of what it feels like to be feel vulnerable uh, and a bit insecure. So that was the whole logic of it. I mean, you're standing there wearing high heels and pretty much nothing else on the studio. You do feel quite vulnerable. And they're not just any old pair of high heels. They're a fine high pair of high heels that you have on. Oh, yeah. If I was wearing high heels, I was called the full six inches. I wasn't doing these little Mickey Mouse high heels. So we, we went to the, the full hog on them. And I can tell you, the pressure on my knees when I was walking was amazing. I could not believe how any woman in the world walked around in high heels. You. I had them off for about 15 minutes <laughs> and I was crying like a baby. I, I think I'd nearly be in that department as well some oh, nights out. Let alone dancing. But, <laughs> and yeah, it was, it, was, it was really surprising. I was just standing there in the press on my legs. But anyway, it was all great fun. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a good day. So with launch day, we had a launch of the calendar and um, 100% of all the proceeds of this goes towards walking my shoes. There's, there's no one benefiting from this at all apart from the charity. But there's not just pictures in it. There's also recipes and inspirational quotes as well. Yeah, exactly. We wanted to, you know, again, try to tie it on in together. So the fact that we had all the top chefs, we felt it'd be a shame for them not to put a recipe in. So um, each month, uh, obviously a different chef each month, and then we all have a, a recipe that can be done at home. They're not really, although the chefs are all very high-end chefs, the recipes we've done at home are all very simple recipes that can all be done at home. Like, for example... I think I've got a, a lamb burger with hummus and sweet chilli and it's a very easy dish to recreate. Um, and all the chefs put something in equally. So every month you've got a top chef in funny funny costume, I suppose, um, tongue-in-cheek sort of humour, and then also you arrest you with it. And then a quote, then, an inspirational quote for, you know, if, if you do have any sort of mental health issues, the idea is for, for inspiration. That, that all the chefs in it are male, is that right? There's no female chefs in it. No females, Jefferson, and that was something um, that was something we discussed, I suppose, early on because we, the initial, as I said, the initial idea before we got Barry involved, um, but we all we had the okay from all the chefs at stage was we were going naked, and I suppose it's sort of like, well, how are we going to do that? We didn't want to have you know majority of of, of 
the chefs, I suppose, in the country are male. Um, and we didn't want to have 10 male chefs and two naked female chefs. And it just we sort of felt it might change um, how people would perceive the calendar and would it work and would it not work. Um, it was fun with having fellas standing there. So the whole, it was a, got together and we said, well, let's just go with the, the male angle because we were going to go down with men wearing lingerie and that was the insecure thing. But women wearing lingerie isn't really anything to be insecure about. Okay. So that was the logic for that. Well, it looks like a fabulous stocking filler. I'm sure you'd agree. Yeah, well, that was the whole thing, you know, and that's the the, the goal is where we'd love to rival the, the, the famous firemen for, for the, the Christmas calendar awards. But everyone needs a calendar, you know, everyone needs a calendar. Um, they're, they're on sale for €12, Euro, which is obviously, it's, it's not expensive, it's a great stock filler, and it's a really high-quality, good, you know, it's a high-end calendar. We, we wanted to do something that was really good. The photography's amazing, and then every page of a new recipe. So, um Every house needs one, so I, I, I really support it. And, and we're selling them, all the chefs then are also selling them within their own individual restaurants as well. Um, so, yeah, we're hoping to sell a good few thousand of them and raise as much money as possible for Walk in My Shoes. And you can also go on, online and buy them from the website walkinmyshoes.ie. That's it, and it's posted and packaged and it's sent out to your house. So you can buy them and buy them as presents and as gifts for any foodie friends, you see. So it doesn't... It doesn't have to have any connection with mental health. You are going to be supporting the charity. Um, but any foodie friends, who doesn't want, you know, a calendar with, with 12 recipes from the top chefs in the country? Um, and as I said, it's a bit of fun as well. So one final question then, Oliver, before you go, and that is which chef has the best pair of legs in it? Well, there's absolutely no contest. I smashed it out of water. I was so... I and walk and I'd be going up to the school on every morning. You wouldn't believe the abuse I'd get. So there's people shouting at me from all over the place, you know. And we have it hanging up. I have it hanging up in Bon Appetit and in Cleaver East. Um, we have the calendars on sale right there, but we have we have the pages open, you know, displaying the chefs. And I've got my head chef in Bon Appetit. My head chef in Cleaver East is also involved in it. So there's three of us in it. And the laugh we're having in the restaurant, like people are just amazed, just playing. Because for those who haven't seen us. I suppose I, I, I definitely have the best legs, but I've probably got the best women's legs, and I think that's that's the problem. So um, that's yeah. what that's the beauty of high heels, Oliver. That's, that's what high that heels do. Is that, is that the magic high heels? Yep, they gave that's the, early the magic high heels. That's yeah. exactly I, it. Yeah, probably if I hadn't known that beforehand, I wouldn't. <laughs> um, but it's all good. It's all fun. And listen, the, the more awareness, it makes the better. Oliver, fair play to you for doing it, for taking the time and to your fellow chefs as well and obviously Barry McCall and Courtney Smith for doing the photography and the styling respectively. It's 12 euros. We'll encourage the listeners to to go on to walkinmyshoes.ie or call into any of the restaurants there that are selling it and pick one, if not two, up. One other place is on sale is Fitzpatrick's Shoe Shop on Grafton Street in Dublin um, is also selling it. Okay, that's great. Listen, thanks so much for talking to us tonight and good luck with it. I hope it sells loads for you. Brilliant. Thanks a million. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. My hour is up, so thanks very much for tuning in via traditional wireless or if you're farther afield through tunein.com or the TuneIn app. Remember the podcast at soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show if you missed any of the show tonight or maybe even an older one. Thanks to all of tonight's guests, Sinead Neeland, 
John McKenna, Brandon O'Connor and Oliver Dunn. Next week, Ron Forrestal returns with wine recommendations to go with the Christmas dinner, which we'll be looking at in detail with the butchers, John Griffin and Roy McMahon. Chef Tom Flavin will be talking gravy and Ken Mayor foodie Karen Coakley will also have some Christmas dinner advice. Until then, enjoy the Christmas shopping, have a great week and bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!